Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. I'm Sam Abual Samad. And I'm Rebecca Linland. So, welcome to episode 104. Uh, we're going to talk about the cars we're driving first. And we've got a BMW X4, a Toyota Tundra Pro 4X, and uh, a, a double shot <laughs> the the Buick Regal Tour X and the. Um, the Mazda 3 uh, that you're driving, Rebecca. So let's get into that before we also cover the Ford Escape and the Audi e-tron and some other stuff, maybe, if we can um, stay off a tangent. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think the Regal is probably a good starting point because that's a car that you're not going to see a lot of. <laughs> Which well, is really it, unfortunate. It is. It's incredibly unfortunate. So years ago... I actually drove the Opal version on the Nurburgring, which was incredibly fun what, to drive. What, uh, was that in 2010 on the Regal World Tour? You were on that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we actually drove the, the original US spec versions. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah. But it was an the, Opal, though. No, they, they, were, they, were, they were actually Buick. They were, they were early production Buicks you know, oh. that hadn't been shipped over yet. Uh, they, we did the the taxi ride um, with right. in the in the Opal uh, GS, uh, GS. Oh, okay. In the Insignia GS, but the ones that we drove were actually the Regal. They were US spec Regals. Yeah, the that, the Regal that was supposed to be the Aura, right? <laughs> um, yes, I think it probably yeah. was. That, that was yeah. a really that was a surprisingly good car. That first generation Regal that was kind of a cast off. It, it wasn't supposed to be a Buick. And it, it kind of wasn't really supposed to be here, but they had done enough work to get it here. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, just give it to Buick. Yeah. I've, I really liked that first generation. I haven't had a chance to drive the new Regal, but it, from all, from what it sounds like, you know, it's it's a decent uh, decent looking car. It's nicely equipped, and it's a hatchback. It's basically the closest thing the, you can get the, to a Saab the, 900. Well, it's a, <laughs> well, the, you uh, Rebecca, didn't didn't you have the uh, the Tourx? <laughs> I did have the Tourx. Oh, so you had the wagon. I, no, I drove. Well, I drove that uh, 
a number of months ago. I went on the media drive for that. This this was the sedan, but that's oh, a sportback. Okay. It's it's yes. it's the sportback version. So it's a hatchback, which is right. fantastic. And I got to tell you, I mean, this thing was such a head turner. So I drove it from Connecticut down to Washington D.C. to go to the um, Elite Eight games on Sunday night, which was tons of fun. I'd never been to uh, any of the NCAA tournament games before, and so it was a lot of fun to go. Were you but- happy or sad that Duke lost? Because it seemed like Twitter was very happy. Uh, so I was a little agnostic. I okay. I have um, my nephew's maternal grandmother is uh, tied into Duke University. So, um, but even he was kind of agnostic. I, I would I would not have been I would not have been unhappy if Duke had won. But it didn't <laughs> it it didn't ruin our evening. <laughs> so okay. we were it was just fun to go. And I and of course, you know, for the for the Spartan fans and, and friends that I have, I, I was thrilled for them. It was an incredible game. I mean, it was a one point game and and you know, countless lead changes and so anyway, so it was a lot of fun. But so so Jake is twenty four. And he, uh, we we got him approved to drive the vehicle as well because it was a five, um, you know, over five hour drive. So I wanted to share the driving. But what was really interesting to me was he just loved it. He absolutely loved driving a sedan. And you know, it's interesting because kids his age, they've grown up with SUVs and crossovers. It's really almost all they've known in some cases. And, you know, they learn how to drive on, on an SUV because it's quote unquote safer for them. And, you know, it's usually their first car, his first car. He actually had a BMW, a used BMW, but then he had a Ford Edge for a number of years. And, you know, the idea of driving a sedan for this kid was so delightful. He loved it. And that was just so interesting because, you know, we talk about so much of the time the sedan is dead. And yeah. and yet, you know, seeing his, I mean, he said flat out, he goes, this makes me think about getting a Buick Regal. And, you know, when you look at some of the used car prices on this. So this one was the GS all-wheel drive. It's got a 3.6 liter V6. Uh, Really like just absolutely, I think it has just about everything. Yeah. Well, Um, the GS is a little sporty-ish. Right. The GS is sporty-ish. And um, so this one uh, tops out at 43,000 and that's with destination, with a 925 destination. Uh, And, you know, it had the massaging seats, the the heated and cooled seats, you know, all of the driver assist systems. Uh, I will say that Waze worked almost perfectly with the um, Android Auto. And then we switched over to Apple CarPlay because he has an Apple phone, an iPhone. And so we were able to try both of those systems out and both of them worked really, really well. So overall, you know, we just we really thoroughly enjoyed it. We we. I he drove most of the way down there and then I drove I drove almost I drove the whole way back. And even after, you know, a five hour drive slogging through New York City traffic at rush hour and such, <laughs> I, I felt pretty good. You know, it was comfortable oh, and and fun to drive. But again, that, you know, having a young person that so enjoyed the sedan was really one of the key things that I came away with. Well, so there's hope yet for those of us who are still clinging to our sedans and and hatchbacks, especially, you know, I I think too, the idea that an SUV is safer for a new driver is uh, a little bit nonsense. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big vehicle. It's heavy. When you get them out of shape, they're hard to control. They're hard to recover. At least a smaller, lighter car is uh, a little easier to to, – A, it's harder to lose control in the first place because it has the advantage of a a lower center of gravity. But also it's easier to get it sort of back into shape, Um, sort of all things relative. You know, at the end of the day, a a new driver should not be driving in a way that gets them out of control in the first place. Right. Uh, that's generally the first thing we do as new drivers. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, SUVs is a, it's sort of the same myth as like, oh, you want one of those big old cars. It's like, yeah, like the 59 Impala that just folds up. No thanks. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, and again, with the, you know, first of all, I, I mean, we pulled up to the hotel and the people were like, what is this? And we were oh, just like, like the ad. Excellent. Like <laughs> the ad. I mean, it was hysterical. We were all laughing so hard about because they were like, that's a Buick. And they were like, oh, my nice. gosh, I'm in an ad. So, yes, it was really, really funny because it was it was just like the ads. And even on the highway, you know, just watching people turn to look at it. Uh, it, it was bright red, which helped, too. But, you know, but it's just a sharp, sharp looking car. And and as as you mentioned, Sam, you just don't see a lot of them, which is a shame because it's a really it, it's just it was it's just a well put together vehicle. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we um, I had the uh, the Tour X back in December mm. when uh, and you know it happened to coincide with when my wife and I drove across the state to go pick up our puppy Daisy. And, <laughs> and you know, I mean, it's a it's a great car for you know a, being in you know spending several hours in it, you know, driving you know long distances, and you know also just for driving around town, you know, I I really like that car a lot. And, you know, it's just a shame that it doesn't get more attention. You know, well, it doesn't seem like Buick, you know, really puts many many ad dollars behind it. It doesn't seem to get much marketing. And, you know, I rarely ever see them around, especially the Tour X, you know. And I think, you know, when when they launched this new Regal, you know, I think that part of the why they took the approach they did with the Tour X um, you know, with doing that more crossovery style thing, you know, raising it up an inch and putting the black wheel arch extensions on there was to try to cash in on the crossover thing. They were hoping that, you know, that would grow overall sales of the Regal lineup. And unfortunately, it hasn't really had much impact. You know, if, if at best, you know, it's maybe slowed down the decline of sedans for, for Buick. And I don't, I suspect that we're not going to have the Regal here in the U.S. for much longer you know, because the, these, these, this generation of Regals are built in Germany uh, yes. by Opel. And, of course, you know, GM sold off Opel to PSA. But part of that deal was that they would continue to supply the Regal for a while. But I'm guessing that, you know, probably within the next year or two, uh, you know, the, this, this vehicle is going to go away from the, the U.S. Buick lineup because they only sold about 15000 the last year. Yeah, well, maybe that's really part of the bad. reason why they're not working too hard to – to make it much more popular, especially if if there's a way for them to sort of divest the model and not have to eat it on the the plant and the the labor that's building it right now, and that's kind of PSA's problem. Yeah, <laughs> like, but you know, it's it, it, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, if fused values change at oh, all with this. No, they're going to drop like a stone. I, it, it, yeah, but it's it's just. <laughs> I mean that the Regal Tour X. I agree, Sam. It's a it's such a fantastic vehicle. It's so underrated, and it's really a shame that 
that people don't appreciate them more. But again, you know, if if we can get 20 somethings uh, to start buying, you know, used regals, be fun to see. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, I Buick is going to have that problem anyway, even if they stay here, the cars aren't going to hang on to their retail, their, their resale. I think that's just the nature of the beast um, with, the, with that, with any sort of domestic brand. I mean, the only thing that really maintains its value is a Wrangler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, pretty much. Plummets. But you know what? Again, the thing is that I think that, that for some, you know, I, I had one of my, again, a young, a young woman, I think she just turned 30 and she was like, what car do you have? And I said, well, I have a Buick Encore as my, you know, kind of daily driver, even though I don't drive her very much. And she got one. She had no problem with the Buick name. Oh no, and that, that's a that's a really good car. I mean, it's a small little crossover. It's great for in town. It, it can do highway, and it's comfortable there too. It's it, it, like there's a lot of reasons why, if you're not interested in in the brand or you don't have a history with it or an opinion, that's going to be a nice car. You know, Bu- everything Buick makes is like that. It's all right. they're all pretty well appointed. They're nice to to be in. They're nice to drive. You know, and they are a good value even new. So yeah, I would like to really see them evolve their marketing beyond the apologist kind of thing, you know, even the new, uh, the new Buick Envision uh, ad that they're running now, I think it's primarily running on the NCAA because they're the official sponsor. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't seen it. Yeah, they're the official sponsor <laughs> of the tournament. And, and it's a very cute ad. And, and it's just, you know, it shows a little kid and his mom showing him the car and stuff and, you know, and, and the usefulness of it. And it was interesting that it's the Envision coming from China, uh, because of course, you know, they've had some tariff concerns there as well but i uh, but you know i i like the fact that they're moving beyond the you know oh it's a buick kind of thing like to yeah, yeah this is a great car and look how nice it is and well yeah there's plenty of unrealized potential in the buick lineup and and the brand so uh, hopefully they can work on that yeah <laughs> not, i, ho- I hope they can I, I do i hope I, I hope they can so all right. Well, also, you had the Mazda 3. Uh, I, do we want to talk briefly about that? You didn't yeah, put too many I'll, miles on it. I'll, t- I, I, I'll talk briefly about it. Uh, I didn't put as many miles on it as I had expected to. I ended up uh, being on a trip and then and then going down to D.C. Um, but I've got the 2019 Mazda 3. Uh, it's the traditional four-door sedan. Uh it's got, I'm sorry, I, the, the writing on the Mulroney is so small. It's like, people, what are you doing to us? Um, I think I told you it has the um, 2.5 liter uh, four-cylinder engine. And, you know, this is a really, really well-equipped vehicle. It is $27,990, including... Well, there's nothing left to add to it then, right? <laughs> well, I, there there is. So there's a... What? Uh, well, there's a f- no. I'm sorry that that is that's fully equipped. Oh, yeah. Well. Does that um, have the all-wheel drive? Oh, does the Mazda three come in all-wheel drive? The the new one it does offer all-wheel drive. Yeah. This is not that I can see. Is it 19 or 20 that offers all-wheel drive? The 20s. Oh, okay. You, this is the 19. You, oh, so you still have the old one, not the new one. Yeah. So it's the 2019. Oh. It only has oh. 2,000 oh, actually- miles on it, though. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, they the yeah the new one is uh, labeled as a 2019. I I thought they were doing it as a 2020 model, but it it is a 19. Oh, so, is it? Yeah. Huh. I mean, twenty seven thousand dollars is all the money for <laughs> for a three sedan. 
Um, but but I, they are really nice, though. Yeah, they are really nice. But and you know it it's weird because like first of all, I know we've talked a little bit about entertainment systems. I cannot get this thing to do anything. Oh, you didn't like it. I it has that control knob, right? Almost like iDrive, well, like iDrive Lite. <laughs> it it wouldn't. It didn't understand when I wanted it to like uh, to change the radio station. So I couldn't get it to change to um, XM80, for instance. It finally started to understand, even though it was on XM, I couldn't get it, or Sirius XM, I couldn't get it to change the station verbally. And I certainly couldn't figure out how to do it um, manually. And then... You should be able to just twist the knob on the console. um, So you you can, that controller on the console, uh, you can... Push it like a joystick uh, to go up or down or left or right. And then you can also twist it to scroll through menus and then push it down to select. Yes. So I've done some of that. It won't let me unselect things uh, that I can tell at least. It keeps going to favorites. And the favorites are all the heavy metal and (laughs) hair bands. So you're very so, familiar with the back catalog of Slayer. I don't yeah. know who the heck had this vehicle before me in the press fleet, but we have different types of music selection. <laughs> yeah, I, every week I get in the car and it's on, um, it's either uh, AM, local AM, right. or it is Fox News. Okay. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> awesome. clearly you are entertained by something different when I <laughs> So, so from, so I, I was very disappointed just at the difficulty that I was having with the HMI. Um, I did get Android Auto to work very well today and the ways worked very, very well. Uh, so that was good. I, I think, you know, it's nice again that it has, uh, heated seats. It, It has, it has nice appointments to it. Um, but again, it's twenty seven thousand dollars. But does it feel like it's worth twenty seven thousand dollars, or does it feel like it's equipped that way? Like it looks in pictures, you know, it looks really nicely appointed. You know, it has like the leather portion there on the dash, or, or it, it, whatever it is, you know, hide or whatever. <laughs> but it's right. you know, it, it just it it looks um, it looks upscale. In pictures, it, does it feel it upscale? It does. It, it does. And it feels upscale. It drives very nicely. It's small, but again, I just, uh, and I know we talked about uh, the the Mazda CX-5 being a high price point. And I think this is a high price point. Uh, well, this is, I mean, this is part of Mazda's strategy is to try to move more upscale to be, you know, to have a more premium feel to their cars. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, the, the, obviously the, the market is not accustomed to that from Mazda, but, you know, set aside the Mazda brand name on it, you know, right. just take, right. you know, just take it for the, right. the characteristics it has. Well, do you, do you think it's worth the price? I still think it's a lot of money for the size of vehicle. Sure, for, yeah, for it, that size. It also it also didn't have um it didn't have a I was trying to park it and it, it didn't have me I, I'm sorry, I'm so like drugged up after my oral <laughs> surgery today on my mouth. Like the auto um, uh, auto park self-parking kind of stuff, right? Well, no, not even that. It's just the sensors. It, oh really? To alert me to an object, so 
it was kind of funny. I, it was one of those times when I was like, oh my gosh, I hope nobody saw that. I couldn't park. Like I just had, I came in at the wrong angle of approach. <laughs> yeah. So I had to back up like four times, but it didn't have any of the sensors that I would have expected of, of, of a vehicle in today's world to have, um, you know, just the the alerts were not there. So well, maybe your heavy metal friend disabled. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you know what I actually went through. I actually went through each screen to reset everything because yeah. I was trying to get them back to like factory things. And I'm sitting there in the, in the parking lot just trying to work through all of the menus. But, you know, I think it's I. Uh, it's as you said it's a really nice looking vehicle the leather is beautiful the interior is beautiful they've done a nice job with some of that i i just i am not a fan of the entertainment system at all i uh, and but there but there are things that that are very good about it yeah i, I think that's a a criticism i've heard about mazdas before people either like it um, or they the the infotainment in particular, or they really really dislike it. Yeah, the uh, the engine's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a, it's a zippy fun car. So uh, you know, I driving home on um, Friday night, uh, you know, through New York City traffic, it was it was great. I mean, there was nice acceleration with it. It didn't hesitate. You know, there were things that I really liked about driving it itself that were fun to drive. So I think the you know I love this guy active technology a lot. Uh, and it's got, you know, 188 or 86 horsepower, which is, you know, a great amount of horsepower for a car that size. So I think that there's things that are really, really good about it. And I really liked it a lot. Uh, but I wasn't thrilled with the HMI. And I'm getting pretty good fuel economy with it, too. So it's rated for 30 miles per gallon. Uh, I think I'm, I'm right in that in that range. Yeah, it's 30, 36 on the highway, which I was I'm yes. impressed by. Um you know, I, I I think Sam, you're right on the money with the idea of take the badge away, and yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, if this was badged as an Audi, you know, say this was an A, you know, badged as an Audi A3 or a Mercedes A class or you know a BMW One Series, you know, would you still think that that price was too high for what you get? You no, know, any of those models in the thirty in the below the thirties is a deal. <laughs> right, you know, and and you know, if you compare, you know, kind of the the fit and finish and the materials and the design and the you know and the layout and everything to any of those those traditional premium brands, you know, I think this thing stands up quite well. I think it's just a question of you know getting used to the idea that Mazda is you know. Maybe not quite a, a premium brand, but certainly not you know one of the traditional mainstream brands anymore. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Rebecca. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I think that I can't say that I feel that way so much about the dash. I definitely feel that way about the leather and the seating, though. I think the seating's really, really nice on it, and the styling is really sharp on it too. The color is beautiful. It's a really rich, deep color. Um, it's a, it's again, it's a red as well uh, as the the regal was, but it's a really beautiful color. So I think the styling. I think to your point, Sam, the styling is great on it, and their choices of materials are really nice. I'm not totally enamored with the dashboard, but uh, but I think it's it's a it's a nice you know, and again it's it's really fun to drive. 
Yeah, I, and I, I can see uh, it's kind of an experiment for Mazda to push their brand perception up like that. And again, it's you know, it's you can get a Mazda three for twenty one thousand dollars to twenty two thousand dollars. So you don't have to spend twenty eight. It's just right. and, and even at that you know at that lower price point, you know, it's it's still really nicely finished. Yeah. Uh it, it and we as a consumer, the American auto buyer tends to equate um size with price. So it is weird for a lot of us to be spending big car money on a small car even if it's you know fully equipped and really nice and the only there's only a few cars that get away with it you, you know for example mini um you just you can drive a mini price up there <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right for sure and that so but for that you know the small thing is the thing and they've been very studious about branding it and making it the small premium car mazda it has a ways to go with shifting the perception to say, yeah, they're they're not just your normal Toyota or Nissan competitor or you know Hyundai Kia now even too. Uh, they're they're a different thing, and they're they're working on staking out some territory. I think they are. So just to clarify, this was the um, it's the Mazda three sedan. It does it's front wheel drive with the premium package. Is specifically yep. what the the one that I have, and so right, all wheel drive is an extra fourteen hundred dollars. Okay, Ooh. so then that that would then <laughs> then you're you're putting it, you know, almost at thirty. But you know, it it does. I mean, it it is really really nicely equipped, really nicely equipped, yeah. uh, and so you know you are getting you are getting a lot for your money in terms of features and content so it has uh you know it it has the cross traffic alert system um it does have uh radar it has cruise control with stop and go uh you know so it has some some very very nice features in it and you know rain sensing windshield wipers which are great so there there's again there's you know there's things that are really really good about it i i just i i enjoy driving mazda so i hope yeah. that i get a chance to, to drive the new three it hasn't hasn't wound its way up in uh my fleet yet but uh maybe maybe bugsy's sitting on one who knows <laughs> uh, uh so sam uh speaking of expensive and small ish uh you had the the 2019 bmw x4 yeah, so uh, you just know, not exactly it, small. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this is this is you know kind of the the, the middle the middle sized uh, SUV from uh, from BMW. Uh, you know, BMW was the first to you know they they started this whole crossover SUV coupe thing back what two thousand eight or so with yeah. the original X six and which is we're under the third. Third generation now, mm, yeah. I mean, I, I do still love those. <laughs> really, you like? You know, I, 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 the, I was, I've always been conflicted about the X6 because it has, it's a vehicle that has no right to drive as well as it does, but just the whole premise of it just seemed ridiculous to me. Oh, it's absurd. Um, yeah, I, I do like, I did like driving it. I did, especially, well, especially the, the X6M, right? Yeah. Um, but you know it's interesting too because that shape is that big hulking shape. It's not just BMW anymore. It's you know, Mercedes is doing it as well. Yeah, every, everybody's got them. You and know, Audi's bringing them out, and right, um, and and you know you're going to see even more of them coming. You know the Ford's new electric crossover that's coming next year. 
you know, has, you know, the same kind of profile. So, you know, this is, this is not unique, but, you know, what's interesting is when you look at the X4, you know, the X4 is based on the, the X3, uh, but, you know, with a, a fastback roof line. Uh, but when you look at it in profile, you know, compared to the X6, you know, the X6 roof line, you know, kind of slopes down even more sharply at the back. And I, I haven't been in a current generation X6, but I remember back, you know, to when I went on the media drive for the original X6 and getting into the back seat of that thing. You know, I mean, this was a big vehicle and, you know, I'm like 5'10", 5'11", and, you know, I my head was touching the ceiling in the back seat. Uh, you know, it, it did not have enough enough uh, headroom in the back. This one, this X4, that is actually significantly smaller than that, is actually is better packaged than that original X6 was because when you look at it in profile, there's actually the 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 roof line is actually a little bit flatter and then kind of doesn't really it slopes down a little bit but then really drops off behind the second behind the second row seats. So it's got almost a little bit of a hump there, you know, not not quite like first generation Porsche Panamera, right. but there's there's enough of a hump there that it, you you have decent uh, headroom and and legroom in the back seat, so it's actually fairly usable. And the one I had was the X Drive X uh, X Drive Thirty I in BMW's ridiculous nomenclature. So that's a, uh, what is that like a one liter three cylinder the, turbo? No, <laughs> no. So the the uh, X Drive is is all wheel drive versus uh, S Drive is for, um, rear wheel drive or, or two wheel drive. Um, and the X4 is standard with all-wheel drive, and the 30i in this case is a two-liter four-cylinder turbo uh, with like 250 horsepower, um, and it's you know it's it's a great engine. You know I've I've liked this engine in in all of the applications I've driven it in. You know in the three series and in the uh, e- even you know in the the hybrid. Uh, plug-in hybrid five series and seven series. They use the same engine in there, and it's it's a surprisingly strong engine, and it feels more powerful than you know than the numbers indicate. Um, you know, it's got really good low end torque, so you know performance is not an issue with this thing. Uh, you know, kind of the, the packaging, you know, is obviously not as optimal as an X3. You know, if you're going to carry bigger cargo uh, in the back, you know, I think on a regular basis, then you probably want to go with the X3 uh, as opposed to this thing. But, you know, it's it's not bad. You know, so this is this is more like, you know, probably the closest description I could come with, come up with for this is that it's kind of like a jacked up um, 3 Series Gran Turismo. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the, the I'm surprised how well the styling works on the X4 because I, I think it works actually better at that scale than it does at the larger scale, the X6. But does it make the... the Basically, the three series or the X three kind of hardware more useful or less useful, or do you, do you not really notice? Because the X three you know, is pretty roomy for what it is. Yeah, I mean, from from a driving dynamic standpoint, you know, it's, there's not really much to choose between the two. I mean, they're, they're essentially the same. Um, you know, you, you're going to lose some cargo space in the back. So if you know if you're going to if you're going to go you know collecting antiques at you know at uh, estate sales on the weekend, uh, you know, on a regular basis, you know, you, you're probably better off with the X3. It's kind of uh, a be- morbid hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> you know, if, you know, if you want to, if you want to haul big stuff, um, you know, you're probably, you're better off with the X3. 
uh, because you do you do lose a fair bit of cargo space, you know, for taller stuff in the back with this one. But aside from that, you know, it basically comes down to whatever your your taste is, you know, whatever style you prefer. If you like the the more wag, traditional wagon style of the X3, or this sort of coupish uh, profile of of the of the X4. So this is the, this is the reason why I love the X6. I love the G, the Mercedes GLC and GLE SUV coupes because they just radiate. I don't have children. <laughs> that that is okay. Very good point. And, and is is that something Although, that you're looking to throw off, or that you look for in other people, or what's the both? Okay. <laughs> it's just it's you know it, as I mean I I had an X3 I had an X5 which was ridiculous because it was way too big for me, but there's just something that is just badass about a big hulking. I mean I I remember the very first time I ever saw the X6 I was in Munich, and it pulled out from you know behind the the locked you know, closed gates that nothing is allowed to be pulled out from out. And it came out and I just went, oh my gosh, that thing is awesome. It It's just big and impractical. And it just, it, I mean, it, it just has a hockey butt. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's right. so, so from, from my standpoint, I look at those types of, of body styles and just think how, it does. It reflects a single person's lifestyle or child-free lifestyle. Because, Although you know, yeah. you, you know, the, you you don't lose any back seat room in this one relative to the X3. So, you know, if you've got you know one or two kids, you know, to throw in the back, sure, you can still do that with this you, one. You well, can and still I think do with that. the with the X4, you're probably more likely to be a buyer with a family versus the the X6. May uh, I don't know. I guess I've seen that as sort of the family. BMW coupe for rich people as well who pronounce it coupe. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, it was funny because I had the X4 uh, back in the fall and um, and somebody said to me, you know what? That's such a great nanny's car because they can pick the, you know, they can pick the <laughs> kids up in, in the backs in the, you know, they can pick the kids up from the school and it still looks cool and it's still fun to drive and stuff. And so, you know, that was kind of just, just one Greenwich residence. Uh. That should be the strangest <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Somebody said we, it to we, me. I'd be like, uh, we, we live in very different environments. Yeah, I don't, I, nobody would call it a nanny's car. <laughs> I don't even know anybody that has a nanny <laughs> oh, oh i have i have friends who have multiples multiple yeah. one for each My kid goodness. one for each kid that's <laughs> great you know when if you're gonna have children one of the things you might want to try is actually raising them yeah. <laughs> no you, you definitely don't want to do that i mean yeah. they kind of they do enough on their own they certainly like they learn how to resist pretty early I mean, it becomes a struggle. but anyway so no i really liked i liked the x4 a lot i love that size you know, it's a it's a great it's a great urban car as well. Yeah. Oh, well, I think that's yeah. yeah it's, it's it's it is you know it is a a reasonable size. It's not too ridiculously large. You know, and I, I agree with you, Dan. I think the proportions work better on this than they do on the X six. I, I do think so. That is you know Rebecca raises a really good point, um, especially if you're say in Greenwich and you commute to the city. I don't want to park an X six in any Manhattan garage. It's just 
big. They have a crappy turning radius. They're impossible to see out of. Like an, an X4 is that, a little that bit is, more wieldy. That is the one other real downside of the X4 uh, is visibility straight out the back is atrocious. I mean, you know, even if you if you were to fold down the back seat so you didn't have the headrests in the way or just take out the rear headrests, you still have just a tiny little slot to, to see through looking straight out the back. So you do have really terrible rearward visibility, uh, which is made worse by the headrest on the, on the back seat. Um, that's on brand yeah. for BMW. But, you know, yes, yeah. that, that, that is <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's unfortunately an issue with way too many vehicles these days. Not just, you know, it's not just BMW. Uh, and of course, you know, the thing's not inexpensive either. I mean, it's like $54,000. And this one was not even particularly well equipped. It didn't have any of the driver assist features in it. Um, you know, it did have the, the nice leather interior, uh, but uh, red, the red leather interior. But, uh, you know, aside from that, it didn't really have much, you know, other than the, the standard equipment that comes on the X4. Sam, were you able to put the headrest down automatically? Uh, not in the one that I had, no. Okay, cause that, because no. um, I will say in the, the Volvo that I had last last week, I was able to do that. And that was a really, really nice feature. Just the yeah. one button. I loved yeah. that. I that used was, to love that. Yeah. We had that in our S60s and you'd, you'd press the button, the solenoid would drop and you could you could smack people in the back of the head with the, <laughs> the, the very, because they, they understand that their head restraints are large. In in the in the cars and especially for the early S sixties, you know they did impede rearward visibility. So if you didn't have people in those positions, you press the button and you get you know, they drop and you get a much clearer view out of the 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 rear window. It's that was you know one of the things that Volvo does a lot of subtle stuff like that. That's just you know yes, it's it's there for safety for a safety aid to for a driver aid and that's a, a great sort of non. It's a it's a passive system, right? Or a passive idea. But I th- I think it's lovely thinking. Um, I agree. So I'll stop ranting about it now. Uh, <laughs> so it's like that was so the X4 doesn't strike me as a whole lot of car for $55,000, especially if it's not fully equipped. Um, I was driving the uh, the I'm trying to look for the year. Uh, I'll say 2019 uh, Toyota Tundra TRD Pro Crew Max. I think that's all the words. Uh, which was also $55,000. And, you know, it, we're in a very strange time where a $55,000 truck, you know, I look at it and go, yeah, that's, I mean, that's not, it's not the most expensive truck I've driven. That's a, that's a bargain. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and it's not fully equipped either. But, uh, and it's also, it's the Tundra. It's so it's kind of like they, in 2007, they decided to make a truck from 1995. Uh, and it's still, so it feels old and then it's been kind of dressed up. <laughs> it feels kind of yeah, like I mean, an they, antique they did, truck. They did a mid-cycle refresh a few years ago, but I mean, this is basically the same truck they introduced in 2008. Yeah. But you know, as it's tough, it's tough to keep up with the truck market if you only want to sell a couple hundred thousand, which is, I think, I don't, I don't know how exactly uh, how many, but they, uh, the Tundra is about a hundred thousand a year. Okay, uh, so they must sell what two hundred, two fifty of the the Tacoma. Oh, I think we've had this conversation before. Yeah, but... it's, it's close. It's close. It's around two hundred, I think. Tacomas. Yeah. So they're not a big player in trucks in either of their sort of niches. Um, the Tacoma is, is healthy for a variety of reasons for them, uh, but the the Tundra is not really a big full size truck nameplate. 
on the other hand, it's not it's not a bad truck. It's just I can understand Toyota saying, you know what, we made a truck that was it it, it hit all of our objectives. It hits the mark. It's it still does all the truck stuff. Yes, it lags the competition, but our our buyers like it enough to come back anyway, and we sell you know the amount that we make. Um, this, uh, I don't, so I don't, I don't know that it's actually a problem that it feels like kind of an antique, um, and not not necessarily in a bad way. But I don't, I don't think the materials are that great. I can see plastic flash, you know, casting flash on some of the, um, or not casting flash, but there's a there's a mold line on some uh-huh. of the trim, and the the materials are you know hard and they don't feel good to the touch. Uh, but there's other aspects that I really like about it. Um, the the Tundra feels like they really looked at the fundamentals of making a pickup. They did that studious Toyota thing. So the door handles are really chunky. You can open them when you're wearing, you know, thick winter gloves or work gloves or something. The HVAC controls are the same way. They're big knobs that you can, you can manipulate, uh, you know, there's space between them. And so you, you can use them without having, you know, sort of, dainty little fingers it's it's good that way uh, you know it's, it seems like yeah it's it's a truck <laughs> you know and even their um infotainment which is not good but there's a lot of space between the buttons uh the actual hard buttons on the, the that flank the screen so all of that stuff is is pretty good in the pro 4x the seats are really comfortable it's um it's not as quiet as the last uh the raptor <laughs> that i was in i mean that's the thing with ford they figured out how to soundproof their their cars and trucks and they're just they are so quiet like luxuriously quiet and that makes them feel very premium too because they're just they go down the road in a very sort of silent manner uh you only hear what they want you to hear um and here in the tundra it it, especially in pro 4x trim it's it's a little loud it's got it's got the um look at me exhaust on it so it it rumbles a lot and it sounds great but it's you know there are times where i'm just like i I really don't need this loud exhaust on this truck but okay um but i everybody needs a loud exhaust i look that that is a great it's a great (laughs) sounding engine i would love to hear an ls 500 sound that way or ls 4 460 or whatever what i don't even know uh, it's LS five hundred now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's a five five hundred now, but they don't have yeah. a V eight in it anymore. Uh, s- twin it's a twin turbo V six now. Uh, that's that's probably better actually. <laughs> Fits the character of the but car. You, but you can still get the V eight in the LC, and it it is I, pretty glorious. Yeah, that, I I have no complaints about the engine uh, or the transmission or any of the drivetrain. You know, it, 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 all of that stuff. It's it, Toyota does that really well, and I have no doubt that this truck will just be pretty reliable for a very long time it it certainly doesn't have the stout frame that a lot of the other pickups have but you know it feels good going down the road it it doesn't really suffer for it it's probably trembles a little if i were to drive it back to back with a ram or an f-series or or whatever like i'm sure it feels a little bit more trembly like trucks used to but you know it wasn't bad when it debuted and it's still not bad but it's not it's not great. It feels really antique. It it, it is ugly, <laughs> yeah. especially as the Pro Four X, which just has like we made this uh, like you got the asshole trim package on this. <laughs> it's just like, and it's it's got um, 
weird running boards that actually kind of trip you up because it's like a pipe and then there's a step welded to the pipe and I always I'm stepping on the wrong part unless I really <laughs> look at it it's it's and it's weird that that's what happens but you know $55,000 tundra that's got you know a towing package four wheel drive it has you know nice cushy leather seats and uh you know it's it's a good place to spend time it's the crew max it's a big cab it has you know the the toyota way of just going down the road which is okay it doesn't seem to care i wish it drove more like a uh a tnga car <laughs> yeah <laughs> everything with tnga or, is good. or or a ram yeah, if it drove like a Ram, it would be good. Um, you know, but it only has one zone for air conditioning. It's uh, it's just, you know, there's there's that in-tune system that's just not not good. And I think some of it is just limited by the the age of it now, where they can't really update the infotainment because the, there's a lot of other stuff that would have to be upgraded, that, stuff you don't see uh, to do that. And it doesn't really get great fuel economy. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm looking at it now. The Monroney's is 13 city, 17 highway for a grand total of 14 combined. And that's about what I'm getting. I'm getting like 15. Well, is, and, and is the there last... a redesign? I'm sorry. Is there a redesign in its near future? Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, do we know of one? <laughs> I, I would assume that, you know, at some point in the next year or two, we'll probably see a redesigned Tundra because, you know, even I think it's been five years even since they did the the major refresh, the mid-cycle yeah. refresh. Yeah. And it's been, you know, 11 years now since it launched. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, they, if you know, if they want to continue to compete in this segment, you know, they, they need to do something soon. But, you know, I was just going to say the last time that I drove a Tundra about a year and a half ago, um, you know, one thing about it that, probably that bothered me more than anything was just the ride quality was really not good. Okay. Uh, well, was it, well, like, like well, the, the, harsher. The, no, um, it, it's, it's a, it's an issue with, you know, there, there's a one particular stretch of road here, which I've complained about, uh, on numerous occasions with, with a certain other vehicles in the past, you know, the stretch of I-94, um, east of or east of where I live. Aren't here. you going to be pissed when they fix it and you can no longer use it as evaluation <laughs> loop? <laughs> uh, oh, I live in Michigan, so I'm confident it, it'll be a good long time before <laughs> they get You'll find out. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, That's fair. fair so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was one, you know, it, it got into the same kind of pitching motion that, you know, some of the the worst vehicles I've driven. Oh, so it does uh, that like oscillating thing over crap. Yeah, it os- yeah, oscillates up and down, and it's it's not good. Yeah, I it's I haven't really had the opportunity to get it out of you know out of sorts like that. So it it rides like a truck. It was about the best I can say. You know, it's not not terrible. And I I wonder maybe if the larger tires of the Pro Four X, you know, it's like they tried to make a a Raptorish truck. So I wonder if they've gone through and, and adjusted the suspension calibration a little bit, you know, softened up the shocks a little bit or something like that, or if it just – I haven't found it as offensive. Like it, it's definitely not as good as any of the other trucks. I think, you know, we're, we're pretty pretty aligned there where it's just – yeah, I mean if you want a truck that's behind the times but uh, is also a Toyota, <laughs> there's the Tundra. Uh, um and I, I I don't want to damn it with faint praise, but I do think it's it's way overdue for a um, a refresh. I couldn't I, I in good conscience spend my own fifty five thousand dollars on it. I would take a chance 
on the RAM or if reliability, which RAM is always sort of at the bottom of the, the rankings, um, if reliability was a concern, you know, there's Ford and Chevy. So there's a lot of different choices before you get to Toyota. I think you have to be one of those motivated, loyal Toyota buyers to want this. And there are a lot of those people, you know, I mean, for, for all, all the complaining we've done about the, the Tundra, you know, the, it has pretty consistently sold, you know, in that hundred, hundred and ten, hundred and fifteen thousand a year, you know. So even as old as it is, you know, it, it never it never reached the targets that Toyota had for it when they launched it. You know, it, you know, when they when this generation launched a decade ago, they were hoping to do two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand a year, and it never got there. But it also has stayed pretty steady, you know, and ton, like every other truck brand tundra buyers are very loyal to their trucks you know it, you you don't generally get a whole lot of switching between brands in full-size trucks it's a really good lesson in how good is good enough you know because trucks continue to just beat the hell out of each other with new features new towing capacity more horsepower all that stuff and you look at this truck and you go okay I don't like the interior materials. The ride is not great. It's ugly. But, you know, you fix those. Those aren't that tough to fix. Uh, some of the stuff is is just fine. You know, like the, the engine, which we all love the way it sounds. Well, it only makes – only. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it makes four, uh, 381 horsepower and, and 401 pound-feet of torque. That's not that much when you're comparing it to – you know the the EcoBoost V6s or you know some of the V8s and well, I mean, it's in the same ballpark it, as the as the three five EcoBoost. Okay, I thought it was a little down, um, but you know it's it's the, the regular one, not not the performance, the high performance version. Okay, it's in the Raptor. Um, you know, it's a six speed automatic where we've got ten speeds now, um, but it's fine. You know, I, I like that it actually has a. Uh, uh, electronic transfer case and, and uh, limited slip differentials and all that. Like it's, I think it has an auto mode. Uh, like if you put it in four four wheel drive demand or something, so that's nice that it ha- it'll sort of automatically switch into four wheel drive um, when it detects slippage. I think um, you know it, it, this one carries a tow package and it, it's it, you know like. You're not going to want for stuff here unless you go find the gimmicks at the other trucks. So it's it's kind of one of those like six to one half dozen of the other things, right? Like if you want a Tundra, it's going to satisfy you. If you if you want a Ram, the Tundra's not going to satisfy you, but the Ram will. And you know those buyers are are loyal. So um, I, I don't know. I'm in kind of a conundrum. I don't want to say that it's the worst thing ever and I hated it, but it's definitely not not the most competitive truck. Fair enough. I think that's a good way to put it. All right. Well, let's move on then. (laughs) We've we've babbled enough. Um, And Sam, you were at the uh, Ford Escape reveal this week, right? Yeah, actually, it was uh, last Thursday that, you know, they did a a media backgrounder uh, last Thursday, and then um, they publicly showed it on Tuesday of this week, so two days ago. Um, and they did a, a global reveal with events here in Dearborn and also in, in Europe and in Asia where the Escape is badged as the Kuga. 
Um, so this, you know, this is another, um, you know, fourth generation of, of Ford's compact crossover. It's the first North American application of Ford's new front drive unibody platform. Uh, so, you know, just a refresher, you know, Ford's going to five, five platforms for all their vehicles going forward, a front drive unibody, rear drive unibody, which is for the Explorer and the Aviator. Um, and the Mustang. The, 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 and, <laughs> and probably the Mustang, uh, an electric platform, cargo vans, and uh, body-on-frame pickup trucks. And so this is um, this is the same. This platform architecture is shared with the new Focus, which we're not getting uh, now, um, and, but it is available in other parts of the world. Uh, and you know, as as Ford adds more crossover and SUV nameplates to its lineup, it's starting to the the each of the ones that are in the lineup, you know, as they get redesigned, they're they're trying to get more focused with them, so to speak. Um, you know, rather than trying to have, you know, a, you know, trying to cross over, you know, a broader audience, they're trying to get more, um, more, more market focus with each one. And so the escape this generation is becoming more of an urban utility vehicle. And then, um, coming next year, they've got this, uh, new rugged compact crossover on the same platform, you know, which is meant to compete, you know, more with like Jeep, you know, like with the, say, a Jeep Compass uh, Trailhawk uh, or a Cherokee Trailhawk, something like that. And so that's going to have a completely different design. It'll have, you know, most of the same underpinnings, but completely different design. And, be you know, it'll be more optimized for off-road use. Um, and so, you know, this one, the, the Escape, you know, is this is probably going to be the higher volume model, but you know, it's it's now more targeted at urban dwellers, you know, lifestyle buyers, uh, which you know kind of is why you know the design has kind of gone in the direction that it has. And I think it's a, a really good design. It's funny when I first saw it, you know, the thing it reminded me of was the CX-5, uh, you know, and kind of the direction that Mazda has been going with their design. You know, with you know the, the sculpting, you know, fewer creases, you know, a little more, um, you know rounded uh shape to it a little more organic shape to it um and you know for this generation they're bringing back the hybrid that you know the the escape hybrid was ford's first hybrid vehicle back in 2004 when it launched um and for the last the previous generation instead of doing an escape hybrid they did the c-max and well we know how that turned out um but they're they're they've they've revamped their hybrid you know they've got a updated fourth generation version of their hybrid system uh that's launching in this escape plus they're also going to have a plug-in hybrid version that's going to have 30 miles of electric driving range and then there's also two gas engines for the north american market uh the one a new 1.5 liter three-cylinder uh which is already available overseas in the new fiesta st um which we also aren't getting um, and then uh, an updated version of the two-liter EcoBoost uh, as well. So four four powertrains for North America, and um, what I think one of the things that really uh, that I really like about this design, and you know, I was talking with Joel Piaskowski, who's the executive director of exterior design for uh, crossovers and cars at Ford, and you know, one of the things he pointed out was that they. They actually lowered the belt line quite a bit on this thing, and the pillars are slimmer than before because they're using more ultra-high-strength steel. So they made the pillars slimmer, and they lowered the belt line, which you know when you look at it, it's actually quite noticeable. 
and it's um, it it gives you a lot better outward visibility from the from the uh, the the vehicle. I think it looks great. I it's interesting. I first thought of the Kia Sportage. I right up, but right up against the 2019 specifically, the 2019 Kia Sportage. But then it bumped right up against the Mazda as well. So it it looks like um, a combination of the two. The interior. I, it looks a little busy and almost confusing. The the knobs. I, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of I'm just staring at a picture, so I, yeah, I haven't seen it in I, person. I think it's, it, it, and it may be when you see it in person, it, it still feels busy. But compared to the outgoing Escape, uh, yeah, it's actually it's much, so much cleaner better. than the. Yeah, it's much cleaner than the current Escape. I I really that I'm surprised at how much I dislike. The current escape. <laughs> it's just. I think. Well, I'm. I'm just looking at. Um, I'm looking at the center stack, and the two buttons that are at the radio, and then the control buttons. I guess I wish that there were more symmetry between them. Um, but again, I, I'll be curious to see what it looks like in person. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I really liked it when I saw Good. it. You know and. And uh, I think it is it is a much better layout than before, and it's also roomy uh, roomier inside. Uh, overall, it's about two inches longer than the the previous one. Um, but they one of the things that they've done, one of the things they've added is the uh, uh, the a sliding rear seat, uh, oh, which nice. is something that the the Chevy Equinox has had ever since it the the first generation right. version. Oh yeah, so it can it can move back and forth uh, about six inches. The Equinox. Uh, so. And, and, you know, again, you know, Joel, uh, who's doing the design walk around, uh, you know, he, he climbed into the back seat. He's about six foot two and he had plenty of, plenty of spare room for his knees in the back seat and plenty of headroom. Uh, so, you know, it, it worked out quite well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that, the interior right now and, you know, in, in terms of vertical symmetry, it doesn't have vertical symmetry, but it does have, you know. Uh, horizontal symmetry, you know, so the two, you've got, you know, there's basically four knobs on the, the center stack. Um, you know, the two smaller ones up above, just below the screen for the, the volume and tuning. Right. And then two larger ones for climate control down below and then some switches. So, you know, I think it's, it's actually a fairly tidy design. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, I think people are going to be really happy with it. One of the interesting things that they also highlighted is you know the glove box is quite a bit larger now, and it's actually big enough to hold a, a ten inch iPad. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's- so I, I, that's I think the the things that you're going to have to discover when you when you drive it. So I was a little disappointed that they unveiled it and yet they didn't let anybody drive it um, because it it does look like the human factors. Uh, you know, the HMI have been really upgraded in this version of the escape where it was so many buttons and it was a, it was a like a mid two thousands European Ford in the, in the one that we've, we have now. So it had like the phone keypad and stuff and just, just a lot of (laughs) funkiness in there. And I just, I I never, I, I, and so that I liked the first generation escape, you know, or I guess the first two generations, you know, right? the, the original. And then when they made it a little more squared off, those two were so charming. Yes. And then, and then they, they came out with the one that we have now. And I was just like, 
ew. <laughs> it's I can't get comfortable in it. It's crappy to see out of. It's also kind of crappy dynamically. I just not not a thing I like. So I hopefully they do better with all of those points. You know, dynamically it sounds like it's going to be pretty good, especially with that small turbo uh, triple. Um, which yeah, it's a hundred hundred and eighty horsepower. Yeah, with the, the one five. That's a lot of power from an engine. That's well, I mean, one point five is not not really all that small of an engine. But uh, you know, I want to know what the character that is because I really really like. It's funny. I like three cylinder engines. I really like the mini triple. That's exactly the same size. And right. Well, the, the one liter EcoBoost that they've had in the Focus and Fiesta for a few years now is also a three cylinder that's and that's right. that's a fantastic little yeah, engine. I liked that a lot when I had that I had that car. I had a I think I had a Fiesta with it. Oh gosh. 5 or 6 years ago. It was a, it was a long time. <laughs> at least. It was back in like 2014, something like that. So, uh, but yeah, you know, 1.5 liters is a little big for just three cylinders, but I'm sure they figured out how to manage the vibrations and stuff, and, and I'm sure it's really Oh, well, it good. has a balance shaft. Yeah, so that that helps. Um, you know, this is probably one of the most important vehicles for Ford, right? This is their number two seller. Yeah, number two behind the F-Series. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's it's crucial for Ford to, you know, to get this one right. Uh, because, you know, this is a, a very competitive segment. I mean, there's a lot of really good vehicles in this segment, including, you know, obviously the CX-5, but you've got uh, the Toyota RAV4, the uh, Honda CRV, the Nissan Rogue, uh, you know, the uh, the Jeep Compass, um, and and the uh, the Cherokee, which kind of, you know, kind of split this segment for, for Jeep. Um, and then, you know, also, what else? Uh <coughs> Oh, the Buick oh, Encore. The, the Equinox. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, yeah, the Encore is like you know, it's a little small, right? Down. Yeah. But no, there's a lot but, but, of competition. Um, yeah. What's the the one that we, the, was it the Envision? Yeah, the Envision. Yeah. Yeah. The Buick. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's funny. You, you guys mentioned the um, the Equinox. I I was thinking the other day as it passed me, not, it's just a, a terrain, first generation terrain. And I don't know if there's a car on the road that has aged more poorly. <laughs> I did. I didn't think the first generation terrain was a good design when it was fresh. It's so. definitely not now. One <laughs> one other interesting design detail um, that I noticed on this, and I, again, I was talking to Joel Piaskowski about this, was um, the rear bumper. Oh on yeah. The, the the previous generation Escape, you know, they kind of integrated it all in, so you know, the the bumper, you know, you didn't really have a separate step. At the back, uh, you know, it all you know just kind of flowed together. And at the the bottom section of the tailgate, there was actually a plastic filler panel that basically filled that gap. So it, essentially, it kind of looked like there was no no separate bumper there. And I asked him why they went back to this setup uh, for this one. And the thing that he explained is that you know having it separate, and especially having it you know in a dark color the way they have it on, at least on all the, the vehicles, all the different variants that we saw last week, um, is that it, it kind of fades into the background and it actually gives, creates a visual impression of less rear overhang. And when you look at the, the current escape next side by side with this one, you know, the, they have, they actually have roughly the same total overhang at the back, but it, it actually does, you know, 
it, it creates this illu- optical illusion that it's shorter than it is. Yeah. Oh, I was surprised actually to look at the numbers and see that this new escape is not much longer uh, than the old escape, but it certainly looks much better balanced in terms yeah. of proportion. Yeah, it's only it's only about two inches longer overall, um, but yeah, it, it does it does have much better proportions. You know, they kind of moved the uh, the a pillars and the, the windshield back a little bit. You know, so it's got a little bit more of the cab rearward proportion to it, um, but it's got more <coughs> interior volume. Um, you know, it's a it's about an inch lower than before, but it's also a little bit you know about an inch an inch or so wider. Uh, so, you know, the, the whole thing is because, you know, they've, they've, they're targeting this one more at, you know, where the heart of the market is really, you know, the, the urban dwellers or, or even suburban dwellers, uh, that aren't going to go off-roading with this thing. Uh, you know, they're using it more like that you would use a car, you know, and then they're going to have this other model that's going to be, you know, more the sportier, um, you know, more off-road oriented variant. Um, that is going to have a completely different design. I think it looks great. I really like the back end of it a lot. And, you know, it reminds me of just what Ford's strategy is. Uh, Sam, when you were talking about not going off-road, using it as a car, people are going to look at this and think it's a car. And the definition of a car is so much broader now than it than it was years ago and ford's gotten such bad press about not building cars anymore well they're building the kind of cars that people want because people will think of this as a car and so yeah absolutely you know i think this is a i think it looks really great i i hope i get the chance to drive it they i've they've they've I've gotten invited to a couple of Lincoln things, but I've, I've, I don't think I've ever gotten invited to a Ford event, uh, but it looks great. You know, I think it's, it's, it's what people want and you're right about the belt line. I mean, there's a lot more glass in this version, but they've done it in such a way that it doesn't compromise the, the, the looks of the vehicle. I mean, it still has, it still looks like it has some high shoulders and a high haunch set. So it, it it looks like it's it looks really nice. I mean, I, I think I can't wait to see it in person. Yeah, no, I, th- I think they've done a great job, and uh, I'm looking forward to trying it out. Um, it goes on sale this fall. You know, um, you know, no details on you know pricing or um, you know specifics on fuel economy or anything like that yet until till much closer. Um, but you know, it'll probably be priced pretty pretty similar to the current one and. Um, you know, it, it should definitely get better fuel economy with these new engines and, and certainly with, you know, the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid versions. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks in uh, New York, we'll see the uh, the Corsair yes. as well, which is the, the Lincoln based off the same platform. Yeah, that'll be cool. I, where is this built? Uh, in Louisville. Okay. All right. Yeah, the side proportions of it are really nice. I mean, the more I look at it, the more attractive it becomes. And I and I'll have to. I should. I, should I, have, I get that a lot. That's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll reserve judgment on the interior. <laughs> um, you know, I am curious about that uh, rear bumper. You know, I, I'm trying to think. The hatch on the outgoing Escape opens. You know, right down pretty low, right? So you're not. It, it actually it, it it opens to about the same height. Okay. Um, but it's just that the way the hatch is shaped on the current one, you know, it kind of 
flares out a little bit more at the bottom. You know, so this one, if when you look at it in profile, you know, there's you know the the cut line where the where the tail lights are. You know, it then kind of folds forward just a touch. You know, so it kind of visually shortens that rear overhang a, a bit. Yeah. Um, whereas the current one kind of goes more straight down and kind of flares out just a little bit at the bottom. Um, you know, to meet the the trailing edge of the bumper at the at the same point, so the bumper doesn't stand out. But the way they've done it here, you know, the bumper almost kind of disappears into the background most of the time when you look at it. Gotcha, gotcha. That's trickery. I like it. Yeah, fool in the eye. Um, all right. Well, the last thing that we have on the list, which was kind of a shock to hear about today, is. The Audi e-tron is not going to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I, so I don't know if this is actually an issue, like a practical issue. It's certainly a problem for Audi to, to, to you know, market around. Um, but the, the e-tron, its official range is, what, uh, 204 uh, miles? Yeah, that's, uh, that's what they announced today, which is kind of disappointing, you know, when you compare it. You know, against you know the Tesla Model S or Model X, you know, which are all you know they range from currently range from like two fifty to two seventy. Um, you know the the last uh, you know they they no longer sell the Model X with the seventy five kilowatt hour battery pack, but even that one was like two hundred and thirty seven mile range, I think. And the e-tron has a ninety five kilowatt hour battery pack, which is you know, almost the same size as what's in the Teslas now, but it's only getting 204 miles, which is, is kind of disappointing. You know, they've, they've taken, they've apparently taken a fairly conservative approach with how they're managing the, the battery. Um, they're not using the full capacity of it. They're only using apparently 88% of the, the capacity. So, uh, and, and nobody ever uses the full capacity of the batteries anyway, you know, you, because you never want to fully charge it because um, then you run the risk of overcharging it and, and actually damaging it. Uh, but they're, you know, so they're only using 83 kilowatt hours of what's in there. Um, but still, even even with that, you know, the like I said, the, the 75 kilowatt hour um, Tesla Model X that they used to sell uh, had, you know, 32 more miles of range than this does. So it's... It's not great. Yeah, that's really, I mean, when I drove it back in December, the estimate was for 259. Yeah, that's under the the WLTP, the World Light right. Test Protocol that they're starting to use in Europe. Okay. And the the EPA test procedures are, you know, still give you shorter numbers than that. Um, well, so, uh, yeah, it, the same same thing applies to the Jaguar I-Pace. The Jag I-Pace, you know, is like 270 yeah. on WLTP and 236 here. So they told us, because this is what I had written in my article, uh, I said the EPA hasn't released the exact range because uh, we had driven the German spec version. And it says uh, it should deliver about 200 to 210 miles. So it's right in line with what they had told us back in December. By it. Right, and and they 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 kind of hinted at that last October as well when they unveiled right. it in San Francisco, uh, but uh, it's still you know still it's 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 a bit disappointing, uh, but aside from that you know everything else about this thing you know still looks very impressive and um, I'm looking forward to driving it next month in California. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was um, 
just what the thing I loved the most about it was that it was just so normal. So I, I'll look forward to talking to you about it because I'll, I'll look forward to seeing if you had the same the same kind of feelings as I did. Well, you know, and it's interesting to think about how that range, it's a number and we can play the numbers comparison game, but in the real world, I don't know how much that's going to actually matter to it, it. It probably won't to most people yeah. because, you know, I think, you know, two, 200 miles is really kind of the sweet spot for EVs is as long as you've got over 200 miles of nominal range, you know, that's going to handle pretty much anything anybody ever needs to do. You know, aside from, you know, transcontinental drives, you know, or long distance drives. Yeah. And for that, you know, it has support for 150 kilowatt hour or 150 kilowatt charging, uh, which is a little bit faster than what the, the current big Teslas do. They're, they're limited to 120. Um, and, you know, you, uh, Electrify America is, you know, building out their network. They've got, they're up to about, I think, 150 stations now. And by the fall, they'll be up to five, almost 500 stations um, across the country and, and almost 2000, uh, over the next couple of years. So, you know, and then, you know, others, you know, charge point and EV go and, and others are also putting in more and more DC fast chargers. So, you know, it shouldn't really be a problem. Yeah. And, and to me, it was just, it just drove like such a normal car, like, and it looks great. I mean, I love the size of it. It's bigger than the Q5. I actually really wish they had named it the Q6 because it slots yeah. right in there. And I think it would have. Well, and, and that's what some of the early rumors were is that it would be, you know, called a Q6 or a Q6 e-tron. Yeah, because it slots right in between. And it also reinforces that this is just a normal car that happens to be electric. And, and that's, right. you know, what I would like to see us move towards. Yeah, and you know, last fall, you know, when at the the big reveal event in San Francisco, mm. that you know, that was the message. You know, when I talked to the Audi people, they said, you know, they they weren't really specifically targeting Tesla with this thing. They weren't really targeting the the Model X or or the S with this thing. You know, they were tar- the the customers they were targeting are Audi customers, not Tesla right. customers. Yes, they they wanted to get people that want an, an Audi but wanted to be electric. Right. And, you know, I, I, from everything we've seen so far of this thing, I think that's, you know, they'll probably succeed at that. I think so, too. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I think so, too. I so, do want to know how much the range drops off in the cold weather, whether you wind up with, you know, 150 or 120 miles of range in the winter. Well, I, I can tell you, uh, it'll, I'm sorry. It'll probably be closer to 150 or so because they do have a heat pump um, HVAC system in there, which is more efficient than the. Uh, the older uh, resistive heating systems, so it should do better than it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't degrade as much as some uh, EVs do. And we had more than enough range in Abu Dhabi, where it was. It was probably in the high eighties. Uh, it wasn't particularly hot, but it you know the the range was not a problem at all uh, when we were in the desert. So it was cool. Uh, the more I think, the more EVs the better and this this is a, a sucky thing for them to have to and that's the official term that's the technical <laughs> word is sucky uh it, it's 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 gonna be a challenge for them to manage the criticism of it but i also think that maybe we're focused on this number a little more than any of the actual buyers are going to be and like you said sam like it's gonna be audi buyers that now have an electric option and other premium 
EV buyers are going to be able to uh, choose the Audi. You know, it's going to it's going to meet with their approval on a lot of levels. And, you know, one of them being like, it, it's a car you can get. It has service locations. It, it works with the charging network that is getting built out. And, 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 and when you need service, you know, they will actually probably be able to get you parts. Yeah. And, you know, so and, and obviously we're sort of skirting some of the Tesla issues, but also, you know, there's a lot of other EV startups as well. And they all, you know, it's 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 one thing to be able to bring a concept or even one model to market, but you know, something that automakers are really, really good at is the sales. And it's not really automakers. It's the, it's the, the dealerships. Uh, they're really good at sales and service. They know which parts to stock. They have the logistics down and, and you know, that whole supply chain and, and just making sure that customers can be taken care of reasonably. Uh, that's really going to make or break any of the newer EV companies. And it's certainly something that the existing car makers have an edge on. And I don't, I don't know that we give them enough credit <laughs> for that. Yeah, no, for sure. I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, over the years, um, you know, dealers have gotten a, a well-deserved reputation in many cases, you know, they, you know, they, they've earned the name dealership <laughs> instead of dealership. Yeah, and you know the the whole process of buying a car from a dealer, you know, can be you know fraught with pain and anxiety. Uh, you know, I <clears throat> you know will not uh, deny that. But you know the when you compare it, you know to you know you look at Tesla, you know as the the counter example to that. You know, even though they do their sales online, you know if you can't. Still, you know, you still at some point you have to deliver a physical product, and you know if you can't do that in a reasonable and reliable way, you know, have the car ready, you know, when you promise it to the customer, not call them an hour before saying, oh, you know, sorry, you know, that car's not available, you know, we'll we'll reschedule, you know, next week or the week after, you know, or you know if they need service, you know, if you you know get into a fender bender and you need parts or something breaks. You know, being able to get those parts promptly and get the car fixed and back on the road instead of, you know, sitting in the in the shop for for two months. You know, th- those are those are things that you know. For all we complain about dealers, they actually usually execute on that stuff pretty well. Yeah. So there you go, Audi e-tron. It'll have two hundred miles of range, but don't worry, because you'll be able to get one. And if it breaks, you'll be able to get it fixed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So I actually also went on um, immediate drive. I was on the for the 2020 Jeep Gladiator. Oh, the oh, Gladiator! Yeah. How how was that? That it was a lot of fun. I got to tell you, it was. Uh, it was very well behaved on the road. It was surprisingly quiet. We deliberately chose the cloth. Um, the cloth top to see how loud it was. And um, our Voss, who's such a great guy, um, was my driving partner. And we were really both very impressed with the with the noise, vibration, and harshness, the NVH on the vehicle was really, really good. Uh, and then off-road, we had the Rubicon, uh, which is the you know, really the most capable off-road. And that thing was a beast. I mean... <laughs> There were times uh, somebody else was there and she came back and said, have you gone out on the off-road course? And I said, no, not yet. And she goes, well, you'll know when I thought I was going 
to use every swear word in the in the book. And she wasn't kidding. <laughs> I came back. I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, we just went straight down and, and we didn't use the hill descent control that it kind of lets the automatic one that lets you let the vehicle pick through the path like we were in charge. of. And at one point, you're just sliding. And it was so muddy because it had rained the day before. So perfect. It was. It was absolutely perfect. I mean, the trucks were a mess. They were a mess. It was so much fun. And and it was but it was really, really good. And I just I I love the fact that it's just filled with old world charm, but with all the latest technology. So, you know, you can remove the doors and they actually have uh, the door handle inside is is positioned in such a way that you can actually carry it easier. So you put the door underneath your arm and you and you tuck the your hand inside the the window and you can carry the door away easier. It makes it easier to 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 put it away. Uh, and then And those doors are surprisingly lightweight. Right. Too. Exactly. Uh, and then of course you can take the whole roof off as well. And you could put the windshield down too. And and these are all just fun things that really no other car can do. Um, but then at the same time, you know, they have they have all this type of, of terrific technology in it. So uh, the, we we drove several different versions of it, but, you know, they had heated seats, heated steering wheel, cooled seats, uh, you know, just all, all the kind of creature comforts that you would want. But then you can do like in the Rubicon, it has this rock track four by four system uh, that just. I mean, you could just go foraging through anything and and it was great. It, it was a lot of fun. So I would definitely encourage people that are looking at the at the Tacoma to also look at the Gladiator. Um, and certainly if you're looking at the Wrangler, too, you know, the Gladiator, I think, will just be something that uh, that not everyone's going to have. And but that provides a, a ton of terrific utility. They also have a lot of really good accessories through Mopar. So I was impressed with that, too. Um, they have some good utility. There's drawers that you can put on there's bike racks and all sorts of stuff there's actually door uh, bo- door bars that I was thinking of for people with little kids that you can put the door bars on so you take the course the doors off and then you can still have these bars on and just be a little bit safer but it was great it was it was a lot of fun it's just a big big long long truck <laughs> it is a long truck the The bed is five feet long but it doesn't drive at all like that yeah at that's all that's what everybody was saying and you know honestly i think it's probably the right decision for jeep because the unlimited sells so much better than the two-door wrangler sure and so and we we've seen that uh crew cab pickups have kind of taken the place of the old regular cabs um, yes. where they're just that much more popular. So it's well, probably a smart decision. You know, they showed the, the first Gladiator, the, well, the the modern day Gladiator, I should say, they, they showed in 2005 at the Chicago Auto Show. So it's been 14 years in the making <laughs> to come out. And obviously the company's gone through all sorts of things and recessions and, you know, change in ownership and all yeah, these they, different they, things. They had a few issues. Yeah, they had the a few issues along the way. Exactly. So the base MSRP for the base sport is 33,545. Um, I tested an Overland, which was, I believe, <laughs> in the 39s. Uh, oh, that's, that's not as bad as I thought it would it be. It wasn't as bad. And then the Rube, and then um, I drove the Overland uh, to the to the off-road location, and then I drove the Sport S at 36,000 
just about just 36,745. It was again, nicely equipped. I don't think ours had nav in it. Um, but so it's a little bit more stripped down. Uh, and then the Rubicon goes for 43,000. Uh, but I was actually surprised because, you know, I think my brother's Jeep was in the fifties. So yeah, none of, none of those prices seem offensively high. To me. I, I know mean, the Wrangler is expensive, but uh, you know, I mean, certainly you can get a Tacoma in the in the thirties. Yeah. yeah, I think I think the the Wrangler uh, Unlimited Sahara that I drove last summer was like fifty two or yeah. fifty three. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? And of course, there's a manual transmission, which is loads of fun too. But that's so. like, yeah. See, the perfect Jeep for me, the perfect Wrangler is. Like a two door sport with no options yeah. and a manual, like it's or maybe the hard top. I do like the hard top, but you know, uh, they don't they don't need to be uh, as luxuriously equipped as they generally are. And I think it's amazing on the JLs that they've packed that kind of equipment and refinement into them and still maintained that that essence of Wrangler. And you know, I, everybody's yes. been screaming for a Wrangler pickup for uh, well. More than a decade, clearly. Yes, so. exactly. The other thing they did was that the uh, rear seat is a 60-40 split, which is really nice so that you can put like a surfboard in there. You can put a, a long piece of wood. So it just has a nice practicality. There there was a lot of what I called emotional solutions in there where it huh. was just simple. Just, you know, even I didn't have any problem getting in and out of it. Even the Rubicon when it was fully mudded, like fully muddy. And, and I thought, oh, my gosh, my pants are just going to the whole back of them. But no, they were they were really fine. And so it just even the ingress and egress was easier than I expected. So. So uh, overall, it was just it was just loads of fun. I mean, you know, I would buy every, practically every car that I test drive, and this would definitely be one of them. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll have to get them in the fleet as well. You guys yes, I hope drive so. all the cool stuff while I toil in an office. <laughs> we work hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For our listening audience. <laughs> I, I I do. I just I don't uh, I don't drive as much as you guys. So. Uh, but yeah, all right. Well, I think that's uh, that's a solid podcast, guys. Uh, we're, we're coming up on an hour and a half, so um, we, it doesn't look like we had any questions or anything like that. But uh, you know, people know where to find us. Yeah, and uh, I'm still working on trying to line up uh, somebody with some expertise in the area of uh, headlights to answer a question that we did have last week uh, on Twitter. Uh, so we're, we're bringing somebody in to talk about that. Um, and, um, let's see what else. Oh, uh, you know, if you like the show, you know, throw us a rating on, uh, iTunes or Apple podcasts or whatever you listen to. And we you know, you can find the show everywhere, you know, on all the platforms, uh, except for some reason, I still can't get it to work properly on Google podcasts. I'm, I'm working on that. It's probably all our uh, smack but, talk. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's actually, it's, it's a different technical problem. But everything else uh, works fine. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, there's also uh, a link to a survey on the website on wheelbearings.media if you want to take a couple of minutes and just share a little demographic information. Um, you know, we try to figure out if we can find a way to get somebody to sponsor this thing. Yeah, just send money. Tens and twenties. <laughs> <laughs> According to uh, is that Sally Brown. Small. Yes, exactly. Yeah, sm- exactly. small unmarked bills. <laughs> All right, we'll see everyone next week. Thanks. All right. Good Bye. Night. When you need. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.